I think it's about time we had an episode focused on pleasure, sex, and sexual expression, my friends. Today, I had the gift of diving into these topics with the wonderful Emily Athena. Emily Athena is a somatic sex educator, coach, and the founder of Aerospark Movement, somatic sensual movement to ignite your aliveness. Drawing on her extensive background in dance, somatics, and comprehensive sex education, she supports people to release stress and shame, rediscover pleasure, and confidently embody their unique erotic essence. I've personally experienced Emily's work, and I really love her take on women's so-called libido issues. Spoiler alert, women usually don't have a libido issue, but I'll let you listen to this episode for more around that. I also encourage you to check out Emily's Aerospark Movement membership, and if you want a taste of what's inside, there's a free mini class when you sign up on the website. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you, I really am, so enjoy my chat with Emily Athena. Welcome to the Sensualchemy School podcast where we explore grief, pleasure, and the sometimes messy, always beautiful paradox that exists between the two. Here, as we center the experience of our wise bodies through the archetypal feminine, we ask, within a culture that perceives emotional, intuitive, and creative intelligence as inferior and avoids pain at all costs, what if grief were our compass and pleasure our medicine? My name is Kate Leeper, and I'm so grateful you're here. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Sensual Alchemy School podcast, where I get to speak to a woman who I really deeply respect in the embodiment realm, the somatic realm. Emily Athena, thank you so much for doing this with me. Welcome. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you so much. And I think this conversation is going to be um, really layered and rich. I have experienced your work firsthand. And I think that that's so beautiful and important because we come into this conversation with, you know, a bit of foundation there. And so your wonderful membership, Aerospark Movement, came into my orbit. I can't, I think it was Instagram. I think I was, you know, just who's out there, what's going on. And I came across your page and was like, oh, this is, there's something here for me. You know, when you get that sense, you're like, there's something, yeah, there's something just kind of uh, calling me in. And so I, yeah, I participated in Aerospark Movement for about six months and it was just at the time where my youngest daughter, I was just starting to feel a bit of space in my life and like, okay, I want to do some more exercise. Like I want to move my body, but I'm still just mumming a lot and I just don't have a lot of scope to get out and about. And yet I also want whatever movement I'm doing to feel deeply nourishing and slower and more sensual because that's my jam. And so, Emily, here comes Aerospark Movement. (laughs) And it was just so beautiful. It was exactly what I described. So firstly, thank you for your work in the world. (laughs) Mm, You're welcome. I'm so happy that it served you well. Yeah, it really, really did. And um, so that inspired me to reach out to you and say, Emily, let's chat all things grief, pleasure, embodiment, sensuality, uh, activism in this space, you know? Mm -hmm. So we're going to go there today. But what I like to do as we come um, come into land, I suppose, into our bodies, I'm really intrigued to hear from you today in this moment, what loss feels on the surface? for you? What can you sense in your body? Mm -hmm. It's been since the beginning of the year, I'd say, that uh, 
like this loss has, well, I think it's been deep in me for a while, but there was something about the start of this year where it just like came to the surface. And then I turned 40 a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And so crossing the threshold into 40, it's like this grief like erupted out of me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I never felt grief around a birthday before. So it really took me off guard. Um, But actually moving through the portal of that birthday, I feel I'm not like on the other side of it, but I'm at a place where I feel okay enough to talk about it. And it's not like poking, you know, an owie. Mm. Yeah. It's like, it's there, but it's like, it's also okay. Mm -hmm. So the, the grief is for an unfulfilled desire. And it's like the loss of something that has yet to exist and may never come to be. Wow. And more specifically, it's the loss of not yet having a family. Right. And I think there's something really potent about 40 for women, at least for me, that's sort of like the neon flashing lights of uh, your fertility in a general sense of like, it's now or never. Mm -hmm. Uh, So just this really heavy grief of like, this thing I want so deeply has yet to come to fruition for me in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I receive you in that honesty and the complexity of that. I really do. And that you, this is your year of 40 as well. You know, where we, we were just talking about how we're over the other side of the world from each other. And that's wild in itself, you know, as, as we move, in, move into winter and you move into summer. And, and yet here we are both kind of moving through this portal with very real grief erupting around you know, that is so relative to where we are at as individuals. And I see you in that. It's big. 40 is big. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And on the other side of it, there, you know, and there's things going on in my life right now that give me a lot of hope around that, Mm -hmm. which is, which is lovely, but it doesn't mean that the grief doesn't also exist. Uh, But the sense on the other side of the birthday was a sense of renewal and possibility. And there, yeah, there's the sense of starting again, like 40 is, you know, you're back Mm -hmm. to zero. (laughs) It's, it is like that. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, oh, the baby 40 of the forties. Yeah. But what I've been thinking about grief in preparation for this podcast and actually something that I really love about grief, even though it feels like it feels hard, the sensation of it is Mm -hmm. painful. Mm -hmm. It has a sobering quality to it. Mm. Like longing is beautiful. And I think longing is important and longing feels like reaching forward and like hope of, of something better yet to come, Yeah, which I think we need and is beautiful but there's something sobering about the grief of like, oh, you are back in this moment, this reality, like, and this is what's actually happening right now. Right. Yeah. Painful as that is, I actually like, I don't know. I'm a very sort of like earth body here and now person. So there's something about like, ah, yes. Like the soberness of this moment that I do appreciate about grief. Yeah. Yes. That makes absolute sense to me. You can't, yeah, you can't uh, kind of future trip. You can, of course, that's anxiety, you know, um, (laughs) that stems from grief. But yes, grief forces you to be with what is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the sobering nature. I really appreciate that language as well. Thank you, Emily. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned longing and the different textures and qualities that longing evokes. Mm -hmm. Is there a longing in you in this moment? 
Well, I guess it really ties in just with the grief. It's like the longing is for the the family and experiencing mm-hmm. motherhood yeah for myself um and you know sometimes the the longing feels painful because it's like well you know sometimes i think we keep ourselves from moving after that which we want because of the fear of not getting it mm-hmm. so it, sometimes it can feel um too scary to, to let myself go there and to long for that. But right now I'm at a different point where it feels more possible or it feels okay to long. And and it feels like I'd rather shoot for the moon and, and miss than, you know, never shoot and sit in the, the grief of not having given it my all. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much beauty in that. There's so much courage in that. And that, for me, just speaks to this, to what aliveness is, right? Because the opposite of that is deadness. It is choosing to stay in that curled bud, you know, Mm -hmm. to stay in that space of, because it is, it's risky. It's really risky to move towards longing. And sometimes we can get, or I've certainly experienced that habituated kind of um, familiarity of longing, of an unrequited longing that is just like there in me all the time. And I have to really get honest with myself around, well, is this about fantasy or is this about a deep, true desire? I don't know if you can relate to that, but this is kind of an exploration that I'm on. Yeah. 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 Sometimes I think, well, why do I want this? I try to get to the root of the why. Uh, But then also that can feel like just mental gymnastics. Yeah. And and a lot, I'm just like, I, I don't need to know why. I just, you know, I can either go after it and break my own heart for not reaching it or like, like you said, like stay just in a small sort of unfeeling, unreaching, you know, it's like the circle is very small then. So there might not be as much grief, but there's also not as much joy. That's it. Yeah. I'd rather have a big circle, like try to tap the, you know, ceiling of the joy, but also be okay with falling to like an even heavier grief. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That is... Yeah, that's that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. And it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. It's really not easy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um yeah, and I've, you know, I've been in all the different flavors and stages of this and I'm at a really like uh feeling good, hopeful stage of it, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean the echoes of the fear and the terror and the heartbreak aren't like yeah, you know, around as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. While your heart is still beating, then that is kind of a continuing experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really big. And I do, I just witness you in that. And I'm so curious because you speak so eloquently about this dance, which I think is the perfect word in this um in this situation between grief and pleasure and heartbreak and joy. And so I'm really wondering if you can share a little bit more about how you came to really find your sweet spot in the unique work that you do as a a somatic sex educator and an embodiment teacher. How did this all converge for you? Mm -hmm. It's funny that the the longer I'm in it, it's like the more I forget how it happened. Like, you know, the further you get from the transition yeah. point, but I can, I can also go, go <laughs> the many back steps and retell. along the way. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm 40 now. That was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You started fresh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, my first career was a professional dancer. And what that looks like is you know, I was dancing since I was three years old, ballet, mostly ballet. 
Mm-hmm. And I have a degree in modern dance. Like that is my college degree, my BFA. And then from there, you transition right into a professional career. So that looks like working with companies and rehearsing and performing and being a, a dancer for a choreographer. So you're constantly moving in ways that people tell you to. Right. And you're constantly being evaluated on how good you are. And you know, go going to auditions and you're either what they're looking for or you're not. Mm-hmm. And it's it's also hard on the body. It's like being a professional athlete. Yeah. And I sustained a pretty bad back injury early in my career and that I never let heal properly. Uh, I didn't think I could take time off. This was my career. This was my livelihood. It's like, there's no support for artists. So I just kept going, uh, dancing on an injury for about 13 years. Wow. So it's, it was interesting because on one hand I got to do what I loved. Like I got to be a dancer and a professional artist and people would always look to me and be like, Oh, you're so lucky. Or I'm going to be a dancer in my next life. But on the other hand, I was in pain all the time, Mm -hmm. just actual physical pain. And then the emotional pain of knowing I was never going to reach the success that I wanted to reach because of the way I was injured or just like not being as good as other people. Like I can look back now and say Mm -hmm. that and just be like, yeah, but (laughs) yeah, at the time it was such a, it was such a heartbreak to not get to that idea of success that I wanted as a dancer. Mm -hmm. And, And then you know, at some point there was another injury and another injury. And I just had to be like, I, I can't anymore. Like I can't keep hurting myself like this. And at the same time I was teaching Pilates and I had postpartum women as clients and I wanted more tools to understand how to help them with their uh, birth injuries. Mm-hmm. And so I found this program that was teaching that as a part of a larger women's sex- sexual wellness program. Right. And I thought, oh, that looks great. Uh, and I sort of knew the who the teacher was through a mutual friend. And I just ended up at this women's sexual wellness, um, like sex educator certification program. And it just like, it just changed everything. Hmm. Uh, you know, being a, a movement person and a body nerd and learning uh, women's anatomy of arousal and learning about anatomy, I didn't even know I had. Yeah, I was like, wait, I took anatomy in college and I'm a body person and I know all about the body. And there's like all this body that I don't even know about. And it's just like, it just blew my mind. It lit a fire in me. I wanted a megaphone. I wanted yep. to yell out about the clitoral bulbs and make sure yep. everyone do. <laughs> Please do. Yes. And so bet- that between that and also needing to knowing that movement is is really like why I'm here it's I think it's my it's my way it's my language it's my gift it's just it's how I be yeah and I and I knew that I I still wanted to do that and so my journey was to find a way for movement to stop hurting me and to it to start healing me essentially And that mixed with what I learned in uh, sex educator training is how uh, Aerospark movement was birthed. Isn't that just incredible? You just cannot write that. <laughs> I know. How life just serves up mm-hmm. all of these little, um, yeah, these little invitations along the way. And what we say yes to can change everything. I'm just endlessly fascinated by that. And I just think it's such an incredible unfolding and blossoming. Yeah. And how now when I read your work, it's, um, you can feel the resonance and, and how it is a lived body of work. And 
I love that. And I think that is what calls people in is when you can feel the depth and the devotion to the work. And that's kind of um, what I think I really actually want to explore with you because there's so many threads that we could take here. But I think recently your work has taken a bit of, well, maybe it's just, you know, when you read what, when you see what you most need to read and that's kind of out there or or whatever's most kind of prevalent for you is this, the work around the female libido, the <clears throat> relationship that we have to sex, sexuality, sensuality, how we express that, the pressures, the responsibilities, um, the shame that so many women carry and how you're really illuminating that there's just so much BS out there. There's so many myths around women's sexuality. And so if you will, <laughs> I'd love to talk a little bit more about, you know, what's really kind of, what lit a fire in you around that? Why is this important? And also I acknowledge that there is a lot of grief when it comes to women <clears throat> really being honest around their relationship to who they are as sexual beings and how they have uh, either expressed or not expressed the fullness and wholeness and, and richness of their sexuality. There is a lot of grief and loss around that. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, take that where you will. <laughs> I'm, I just love, yeah, I'd love to hear you speak a little more to that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so a lot of times when women decide they have low libido, which if you do a Google search, it's the number one sexual complaint from women low libido. Mm -hmm. And the ways that people traditionally treat low libido or look at it is through the lens of uh, hormones and mental health and relationship issues. And these are all valid. Like, of course they play a part, but what I've seen working with women for, I don't know, eight years now or so, and just sort of like you know, woman after woman with this low libido and, and seeing what their relationship with their sexuality is, I saw that there was like an underlying cause that isn't, you know, any of these bullet points you see when you Google it. And what I see that is, as is a, it's a cultural issue. It's a historical issue. It's something we're all carrying because of how women have been treated sexually for the last however many hundreds of thousands of years. And the issue is that women's sexual pleasure hasn't mattered in the mm -hmm. sexual equation until like right now. Yeah. You know, in, in the span of history, it's just like women's sexual pleasure didn't matter as a part of sex. Sex was a woman's duty. Yeah. You know, there's, there's so many ways um, uh, you can see there's so much proof of this you can see over history. And so now all of a sudden women's sexual pleasure matters, which hello, like hallelujah. Hey, <laughs> thankfully, but we're carrying this, this lineage that it hasn't mattered. And so if we can't just snap our fingers and be like, great. We know everything about our sexuality. We have no shame. We know what female sexuality even is. No, no one knows anything. Mm -hmm. And we're all just like under this male model of sexuality. And we're trying to like fit into a thing that like doesn't totally fit. And then when our bodies are like, no, thanks. Yeah. We think we have low libido and we're trying to get back to this old model, but really the low libido is, is telling you like this model isn't working for, for my body and my system anymore. So it's time to build a new one. Oh, Amen. Yeah. 
Truly. That's what we're doing here. We're, yeah. we're <laughs> spreading the gospel of female sexuality, Yes, just bringing it out of the shadows. And, and I really think it's not just to improve women's sex lives. It's mm-hmm. to improve sex for anyone, everyone, right. regardless of gender, because it's just like, it's like yin and yang. It's like the other kind of sexuality and, you know, there's all this fluidity in us. And like, so some people that aren't women or don't identify as female can still find gold for themselves yeah. in female sexuality. Right. Yes. And, oh, I just, you know, I just get full body tingles when I hear that because I am so here for this. It, and also the relief that I think many women hear when they when they really let that land is phenomenal. It it's game changing because it takes the shame. Yeah. And it replaces it with this oh, this sigh of it's not me that's broken. Yeah. It is the culture. And that's something I feel like I say every bloody day is it is not you. It is the culture. And we can we can connect those dots in so many different right, ways, right? You know, the pleasure piece, the grief piece, the, I mean, everything basically that is taboo and stigmatized in our culture has these layers of shame embedded into them. And we just have internalized and have believed to have been some kind of deficit in us. So I'm just celebrating this work. And I agree that it is exciting. There has been this kind of collective awakening recently and it's rippling. It's beginning to ripple through where it's like, oh, I don't actually have to settle for this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, so what do you feel is possible for women with the work that you do through the body with the body what do, what are you seeing un, you know unfolding in this space for women yeah oh so much so many beautiful ahas and like amazing shifts um i am seeing women who are committed to this work and it it doesn't always happen overnight by the way it often no. doesn't but yeah. when you stay committed to it and you stay with it i mean i have seen women that are so shut down around their sexuality where they've seriously considered if they are asexual mm-hmm. which like is valid but you yes. know just we've been working and working and they've they've found their sexuality and it looks nothing like the normal standard like way of being sexual um, or having sex, but that they've found what works for them and they've really owned it. And they feel like they're, you know, when they engage sexually, then they're coming from this place of, of ownership and like a fully filled in like human and they're orienting to their pleasure and they're having the kind of sex they want to have. Mm-hmm. And by their way, their partners are total buy-ins because they're like, they see like how, yeah. you know, lit up and like there their partner is. Um, and so they're redefining sex for themselves. Yeah. And there's not like female sexuality doesn't mean like, okay, we redefine sex in this one way for everyone. It's like, no, you have to find it for yourself. But what leads you there is your embodied pleasure. Mm-hmm. So the more women practice feeling pleasure in their bodies, Mm -hmm. feeling it, letting themselves have it, savoring it, like orienting toward it, you know, the more that's going to lead them to the kind of sensuality and sexuality that is for them. Yeah. Yeah, you're speaking my language. You know, I think this redefinition of pleasure is where it has to begin. And pleasure, when when I speak to it, which I think is a really, really important conversation because of the way that patriarchy has morphed and, uh, I guess, 
hoodwinked the idea of what pleasure even is, we have to have this conversation outside of talking about sex and sexuality. Pleasure in itself is this gift that we can all access mm-hmm. that that doesn't have to have anything to do with orgasmic bliss. And essentially, you know, that is where we have to start is, is being able to actually learn that language of our pleasure body. And that is just, my God, so empowering when we learn that we don't need to rely on anybody else, that we can own our own pleasure. Mm-hmm. Our job is not just to give it or make sure that somebody else experiences it. It is our provide it for someone. Right. Else. Right. Which is so exhausting. Even the idea of it, I mean, right? Like, yeah. let alone actually living that out is just is traumatic. And and it's just so such a ripoff to the human experience. Mm. Such a ripoff. Totally. I'd love to hear a bit more about how you work with women to redefine pleasure, to to kind of completely dismantle from the idea of what pleasure actually is. How what's your path there? Mm. I see pleasure as kind of like I was saying before, it's a way that women find themselves again, right? This is such a common narrative, especially for mothers. You know, I work with a lot of moms and new moms and yeah, in, in early motherhood, like you are giving all of yourself over to the children, and there becomes this time when it's like, okay, I can, I can get myself back and using pleasure as a way to find oneself again. Mm. Also using pleasure as, I love pleasure as the primary, my primary, the primary embodiment tool, because as you know, often disembodiment is about escaping the pain yeah. of living in our bodies. And so yeah. that's really adaptive. We don't want to shame that or make that a bad thing. Like, no, that's that's the body protecting itself. Mm-hmm. So if you want the gifts that come from living in your body, but there's you know a reason for disembodiment, there's pain, there's trauma in there, using embodiment at, or using pleasure as the way back in, finding what feels good isn't to pretend that things don't also feel bad, isn't to mm-hmm. bypass the pain, but it's to create like a life raft Yes, of, of something that feels good or feels at least okay as you go touching the owies in there too, yeah. and you start to drop back into your body. So yeah. pleasure is also just, it's practical. It's, it's how to safely inhabit your body. Yes. Like the start. Yes. Oh God, this is it. This is so it. And I think it's like, it's really tricky. Um, when you do trying to, um, I suppose, invite women into this reframe, it is so empowering. And yet it is really tricky to, to trust because there's also this idea that we have to go through the pain and and the the absolute shitstorm of what is perhaps existing in the internal landscape in order to feel worthy of or earn pleasure or like make space for pleasure and isn't it amazing that no it is and it can be a way in so i find that that's yeah that's something that has to be spoken to so often because i think it is a cultural lens as well that it's like I mean, you see it in every aspect of life, right? It's like you work your ass off until you um, deserve a holiday. Exactly. Right? You do yeah. all of the shit. You you eat all of your vegetables before you can have the ice cream. Mm-hmm. There's all of these ways that we have indoctr- we've been indoctrinated to to see pleasure as something that we have to earn. 
And so I think it's the same thing. If we feel crappy and there is lots of grief and trauma and all of this stuff that we are frightened to face and to be with, understandably, this this enormously important reframe that, guess what? Pleasure is there and accessible, even if you don't kind of open up those wounds, they will present themselves in bite-sized ways that you can access them feeling safe and resourced as you actually welcome this experience of pleasure into your body. Yeah. It can happen that way. Absolutely. I mean, that was like a, like, uh, yeah, mind-blowing for me personally, I think, on my own journey yeah. um, to embodiment and healing. But yeah, it's kind of one of my favorite parts of this work, really. Absolutely. And and also like democratizing pleasure in this way and having a wider lens of what pleasure is. Like pleasure isn't only my erogenous zones, mm-hmm. right? Pleasure is the the flowers and the breeze and you know, it's all these little things that you can that are you know, 99% of the time available to all of us, yeah. like everything we take in through our five senses. And the more we could learn to orient to those, let them in, like let them permeate through your skin and into your body. It's like, it's like taking a vitamin, you know, it's like a, mm-hmm. getting a little bit more resourced so that when the stress arises or when the hard stuff arises, it's like, there's a little bit more okayness there. And there's also that habit of your body knowing how to find that resource and find that okayness again. Mm. Yeah. And it is, you mentioned, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. It is a slow incremental process. I think it's building a habit, the habit Mm -hmm. of, of letting in pleasure, of noticing pleasure. That's, that's really what I'm like, I've experienced that in myself. And I see that in the people I work with, um, cause none of us, well, I think as children, children do it naturally. They're always like doing whatever feels good. And, and as you just spoke to all the cultural stuff, then we get it, you know, taught out of us. Mm -hmm. And so to relearn that, it's just, it's just building the habit again. And then once it's in there, it's, it doesn't Mm. mean like life is bliss. Sure. No, but it's like, ah, I have that anchor and and Mm -hmm. knowing how to find that resource. And then uh, under the right context, letting that pleasure become more embodied, maybe more when I want in the sexual context, more into my body and erogenous zones and let that lead to my arousal and turn on and then let that lead to my desire for sex. Right. Yeah, which is a very different way of looking at it. And it requires, it does require a partner if a partner is involved, because of course they don't always have to be, but if a partner is involved, it does require quite the um, untangling from these kind of traditional ways that sex happens, the pleasure yeah. happens in inside of this, you know, kind of, yeah, mainstream, patriarchal, heteronormative um, container of a relationship. I'm curious if, you know, if a woman does really, and I think that this, this happens and it's something that's important to address when a woman begins to actually come back to life through this process, which is effectively what happens when we can you know, when we're flexing that pleasure muscle and it, it is becoming um, a habit and, and a way of resourcing ourselves and then all of a sudden our capacity widens and we're able to hold more. We're, we're also, I suppose, a little more enlivened towards possibility and we're more curious and we're, we're knowing ourselves in new and different ways. What can be the ramifications of that? I mean, I'm sure that every partner in the world isn't always entirely comfortable with that. You know, maybe let's get 
real about some of the challenges that you see um, and how a woman, if if you're in that place where you're like, yeah, cool, I've started this journey. And also it's there's some big changes happening mm-hmm. um, because of it, because all of a sudden I'm not numb anymore. All of a mm-hmm. sudden I haven't been pathologized with a problem that is mine to deal with anymore. Mm-hmm. What do you see and how, what does this woman need to know? Mm. Well, what I see most of the time, nine times out of 10, like <laughs> men are good, right? So if, if women are in heterosexual oh. relationships with their male partners, like their, their male partners don't know what to do, but they like, they want to support her pleasure, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. So what I see most of the time is like, these guys are on board yet we were all indoctrinated into the same scripts, these same gendered sexual scripts. We're all swimming in the same shitty waters. So as much as these guys have the desire for their partners to find themselves and find their pleasure and, and all these things. um, And they, they want to know themselves as good men and, and, and they are, yeah, it's like the ways that they sort of participate in these old scripts, like and getting them to see that and like break some of those habits without shaming them as like you're a bad man. Yeah, is is one of the more challenging parts um, to my work, especially when I work with couples, because yeah. I'll kind of like point some things out and they're like, oh no no no, I don't do that. I would never do that. And it's like, it's. <sighs> It's not that like you're doing it. It's like we were all, you're, you're, you're going through the script and we all mm-hmm. learned the script mm-hmm. and you're not bad, but like, you got to unlearn that script just as like, she's unlearning her scripts. Yes. So it's, it's really deep work. It's like mm-hmm. taking yourself out of like the sexual matrix. If there was such a thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I felt like it's, I feel it's an important topic to speak to because women are often, of course, I don't want to generalize here, but women often are the instigators of self-growth and change. We tend to um, be the ones to really look at ourselves and think and want to analyze and understand and buy the books and do the courses and, and, Yet, we cannot shift a dynamic that relies on more than just us. And I see a lot of women burn out Mm. because they have given their all to trying to change and fix and better themselves because it's their, you know, they're the ones. And I just feel like sometimes we've got to say, it's, it has to be, you know, it is bigger than you, my love. You know, you can do everything and ultimately coming back into you and knowing who you are and being able to be resourced by pleasure and really understand the power of pleasure for healing and all of that is good stuff. And yes, and We've also got to ensure that our partners come to the party or that, you know, we we see our place, as you've said, in the matrix and that we aren't just responsible um, for fixing things because that does, you know, that is a thing that we do. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I think what's helpful to, to say or to, to bring into the mix is like a big dose of compassion. Mm-hmm. you know, for self, for the person you love, like coming from the place of compassion is the most helpful thing. And something we need to like, you know, women, we've been given the shit end of the stick when it comes to sexuality in all these ways, but it's not like guys have it hard too. And we also want to remember that even from a patriarchy, even from sex being in this male model, yeah, like their biggest pressure is to know what to do. Right. Just know what to do. And so that's why performance anxiety is such a huge weight on men. 
Mm-hmm. So we want to, you know, bring in this, this huge dose of compassion. And the more we can all like strip away and get more vulnerable and come from that place of, of, you know, tenderness and vulnerability, the better. Mm. And I just want to say, you know, to the women who are doing all the fixing and all the work and, you know, maybe their partners just kind of just dragging them along or whatever. I really believe that we know deep down what the truth is, you know, so many people question, should I stay? Should I go? I think there's a still small voice. I believe Glennon Doyle says that inside. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, sometimes we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to hear it because what it's going to tell us to do is, is too hard. But for anyone questioning out there, like, I believe that deep down, you know, because mm-hmm. sometimes not every relationship is meant to 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 last the lifetime and and maybe this partner's amazing in one way and maybe not sexually that doesn't mean it can't improve and it can't you know be something yeah. but it's just like the ways any two people connect are really unique yeah. and to celebrate what is good and 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 that uniqueness but just to know like we don't always like quote unquote get it all and yeah and that's just like, we're just busting the fairy tale and just speaking some truth. Yeah, big time. I so appreciate that. And I I think it's such a nice place for us to land in that tenderness and that vulnerability. And also with that, with the emphasis on even if that small voice is kind of, you know, whispering and, and starting to get louder, the work that you offer and the work of redefining feminine pleasure and beginning to just allow your body to experience the power of that is resourcing and capacity building work. And so over time, things that did feel insurmountable begin to feel possible. And I think that's that's really um it feels like a take-home message to me, Emily. <laughs> Absolutely. And also, I know for myself, I often can't hear that still small voice inside until mm. I drop in to like an embodiment journey and drop into my body. And it's right. something like through the the moving of my body that will touch a thing and bring the emotion out and bring the like, aha, the light bulb out of me. Yeah. So it's not so much like listening to a voice, like the way you and I are listening to each other's voices, but it's dropping down in getting into that uh, altered state of, of Mm -hmm. movement and embodiment that it can offer us and letting your body speak. Like I believe at least, for me, like that's my way. And I think a lot of people find that is their, their body speaks through their movement and, and through the emotion and through the rise and fall of the breath and all of that. And, and that is what will trickle its way, you yeah. know, up to the mind of like, and that's what that's about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is it. And this is the beauty and brilliance of your work and that once we can forge this relationship to our bodies and learn these practices and be immersed in these processes, the wisdom that is in there untapped, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a firm believer that the body is wise and it's our mission to learn to listen. Yeah. And that, that listening is through embodiment. Hmm. Yes, indeed. And so for the woman hearing this and just so ready to embark on their pleasure journey and coming into their body and really owning and reclaiming themselves as an alive sexual sensual being, <laughs> what do you have currently on offer? How can women really kind of tap into your wisdom right now, Emily? 
Mm, thank you. Well, two things. I want to just say that to anyone listening, pleasure is available to you right now. You don't need to sign up for anything. You could just, you know, rub your hands slowly on your thighs or whatever looks beautiful that you can see or smell or taste or feel like that is your, that's the gateway to your embodied pleasure. Now, you know, just like if you want to get fit, like it can be helpful to have some guidance, to have a personal trainer, go to the gym. So what I offer is a container and guidance into your embodied pleasure. And that's through the Aerospark Movement membership. You can join anytime, you can leave anytime. Inside the membership, I teach a Aerospark Movement class every single week. Um, some weeks are more yin, more slow, we're on the floor. And then some weeks are yang, we're on our feet, we're moving a little bit more. So just to experience that, that full range of, of energy. But it's all, I guide the movement. I guide you into movement and your body guides you into your pleasure. Mm -hmm. So it's, there's no way to do it wrong. Uh, if you're following your pleasure and your truth, you're, you're doing it right. And so if this sounds great, like, come check it out. I would love yeah. to um, move with you. Yes. And I will absolutely have the link to um, your work in the show notes so people can go and explore and yeah I can I can vouch for the fact that it is a really beautifully held container and um, just such a, a lovely way to and it doesn't really matter where you're at on your journey either you know if you were like me and you're kind of in that postpartum phase and just really looking to to sink into something that just feels very nurturing and and um and beautiful or if you've been doing this work for some time and you just really want to plug in and have this consistent practice happening so definitely check out aerospark movement and emily it's just been so special to speak with you today i feel like we've covered some terrain and um yeah it's you are contributing so much to the landscape of embodiment and um thank you thank you for showing up and doing what you do mm, thank you so much kate this was a really juicy enjoyable conversation to have so let's let's talk anytime <laughs> yeah definitely thank you bye-bye bye Thank you for joining me today on the Sensual Alchemy School podcast. If you found this episode supportive or something landed for you here, please share it with your friends, family, and anyone who you feel might benefit. If you're loving this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to ensure that we can keep bringing you the conversations you need. And if you want to connect, please find me at kateleeper.com or over on Instagram at kate.leaper. I'd love to hear from you.